Chapter Three of Comic History of England. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Catherine Eastman, in honor of Jim Mowat's completion of his university degree. Comic History of England by Bill Nye. Chapter Three. The Advent of the Angles. Causes which led to the rehabilitation of Britain on new lines. With the landing of Hengist and Horsa, English history really begins, for Caesar's capture of the British Isles was of slight importance viewed in the light of fast receding centuries. There is little today in the English character to remind one of Caesar, who was a volatile and epileptic emperor with massive and complicated features. The rich warm blood of the Roman does not mantle in the cheek of the Englishman of the present century to any marked degree. The Englishman, aping the reserve and hauteur of Boston, Massachusetts, is in fact the diametrical antipode of the impulsive, warm-hearted, and garlic-imbued Roman who revels in assassination and gold earbobs. The beautiful daughter of Hengist formed an alliance with Vortigern, the royal foreman of Great Britain a plain man who was very popular in the alcoholic set, and generally subject to violent lucid intervals, which lasted until after breakfast. But the Saxons broke these up, it is said, and Rowena encouraged him in his efforts to become his own worst enemy, and after two or three patent pails full of wassail would get him to give her another county or two, until soon the Briton saw that the Saxon had a mortgage on the throne, and after it was too late— he said that immigration should have been restricted. Kent became the first Saxon kingdom, and remained a powerful state for over a century. More Saxons now came, and brought with them yet other Saxons, with yet more children, dogs, vodka, and thirst. The breath of a Saxon in a cucumber patch would make a peck of pickles per moment. The Angles now came also, and registered at the leading hotels. They were destined to introduce the hyphen on English soil, and plant the orchards on whose ancestral branches should ultimately hang the Anglo-Saxon race, the progenitors of the eminent aristocracy of America. Let the haughty, purse-proud American, in whose warm life-current one may trace the unmistakable strains of bichloride of gold and trichinae, pause for one moment to gaze at the coarse features and bloodshot eyes of his ancestors who sat up at nights drenching their souls in a style of nepenthe that it is said would remove moths tan freckles and political disabilities the seven states known as the saxon heptarchy were formed in the sixth and seventh centuries and the rulers of these states were called bretwaldas or britain wielders Ethelbert, King of Kent, was Bretwalda for fifty years, and liked it first-rate. A very good picture is given here showing the coronation of Ethelbert, copied from an old tin-type, now in the possession of an aged and somewhat childish family in Philadelphia, who descended from Ethelbert and have made no effort to conceal it. Here also, the artist has shown us a graphic picture of Ethelbert supported by his celebrated ingrowing moustache receiving Augustine. 
they both seem pleased to form each other's acquaintance, and the greeting is a specially appetizing one to the true lover of art for art's sake. For over one hundred and fifty years, the British made a stubborn resistance to the encroachments of these coarse people, but it was ineffectual. Their prowess, along with a massive appetite and other hand-baggage, soon overran the land of Albion. Everywhere the rude warriors of northern Europe wiped the dressing from their coarse red whiskers on the snowy tablecloth of the Briton. In West Wales, or Dumnania, was the home of King Arthur, so justly celebrated in song and story. Arthur was more interesting to the poet than the historian, and probably as a champion of human rights and a higher civilization should stand in that great galaxy occupied by Santa Claus and Jack the Giant-Killer. The Danes, or Jutes, joined the Angles also at this time, and with the Saxons spread terror, anarchy, and common drunks all over Albion. Those who still claim that the Angles were right Angles are certainly ignorant of English history. They were obtuse Angles, and when bedtime came and they tried to walk a crack, the historian, in a spirit of mischief, exclaims that they were mostly a pack of isosceles triangles, but this doubtless is mere badinage. They were all savages, and their religion was entirely unfit for publication. Socially they were coarse and repulsive. Slaves did the housework, and serfs each morning changed the straw bedding of the lord and drove the pigs out of the boudoir. The pig was the great social middle class between the serf and the nobility, for the serf slept with the pig by day, and the pig slept with the nobility at night. And yet they were courageous to a degree, the Saxons, not the pigs. They were fearless navigators and reckless warriors. Armed with their rude meat-axes and one or two Excaliburs, they would take something in the way of a tonic and march right up to the mouth of the great Thomas Catapult, or fall in the moat with a courage that knew not, recked not, of danger. Christianity was first preached in Great Britain in 597 A.D., at the suggestion of Gregory, afterwards Pope, who by chance saw some Anglican youths exposed for sale in Rome. They were fine-looking fellows, and the good man pitied their benighted land. Thus the Roman religion was introduced into England, and was first to turn the savage heart towards God. Augustine was very kindly received by Ethelbert, and invited up to the house. Augustine met with great success, for the king experienced religion and was baptized, after which many of his subjects repented and accepted salvation on learning that it was free. As many as ten thousand in one day were converted, and Augustine was made Archbishop of Canterbury. On a small island in the Thames, he built a church dedicated to St. Peter, where now is Westminster Abbey, a prosperous sanctuary entirely out of debt. The history of the Heptarchy is one of murder, arson, rapine, assault and battery, breach of the peace, petty larceny, and the embezzlement of the enemy's wife. In 827, Egbert, king of Wessex and duke of Shandygaff, conquered all his foes and became absolute ruler of England, land of the Angles. Taking charge of this angular kingdom, he established thus the mighty country which now rules the world in some respects, and which is so greatly improved socially since those days. 
two distinguished scholars flourished in the eighth century, Bede and Alcuin. They at once attracted attention by being able to read coarse print at sight. Bede wrote the ecclesiastical history of the Angles. It is out of print now. Alcuin was a native of York, and with the aid of a lump of chalk and the side of a vacant barn, could figure up things and add like everything. Students flocked to him from all over the country, and matriculated by the dozen. If he took a fancy to a student, he would take him away privately and show him how to read. The first literary man of note was a monk of Whitby named Kedman, who wrote poems on biblical subjects when he did not have to monk. His works were greatly like those of Milton, and especially like Paradise Lost, it is said. Gildas was the first historian of Britain, and the scathing remarks made about his fellow countrymen have never been approached by the most merciless of modern historians. The book was highly interesting, and it is a wonder that some enterprising American publisher has not appropriated it, as the author is now extremely dead. End of chapter 3